Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning, in light of the video that we just saw, that you're raising up worshipers of Jesus all around the world, that the message of, of Christmas, Christ come among us, is, is going forth into all the world. And so, Lord, we praise you for that. And again, we pray that we would behold Jesus clearly this morning and that we would be transformed as we do so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, once again, Merry Christmas. I hope you all had a good Christmas day. Uh, I'm coming in this morning a little bit extra tired, because we have uh, two small children at home. They're walking out of the room right now. <laughs> Graham, who is uh, five, about to be six years old. And our daughter Jude, who is three, and so we've had a um, action-packed few days at the Halton household, but it's been really fun and really good. <clears throat> um, but I, I do remember, speaking of uh, my two small children, uh, the days and months after each one of them was born, I remember this phenomenon, and, and maybe you've experienced it too, of um, just holding my newborn baby and just staring staring at Graham's face or staring at Jude's face for what felt like hours and hours and observing all of his or her features, wondering what his or her personality would be like as, as he grows. Now this week, of course, we, we celebrated Christmas Day and we continue to celebrate the Christmas season, 12 days of feasting and celebrating that Jesus has been born, Emmanuel, God with us, now, I imagine Mary and Joseph and all the others who came to behold the newborn Savior Jesus experiencing a little bit of what I experienced when I uh, beheld my own children. I can just imagine Mary holding the baby Jesus and for hours observing his features, his little eyes and his, his little ears. Now, there's a single word in this gospel passage that we just heard read. Um, in John chapter 1, verse 14, that, that captures this phenomenon of beholding a newborn baby. And I want you to look at it with me. We're going to look closely at John chapter 1 this morning, so it'll help if you, if you turn back in your bulletin to page 9, so we can all have our eyes on Scripture together. In verse 14, John writes, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This word, seen, we have seen his glory. It's sometimes translated in English versions of the Bible as observed or beheld or gazed upon. It's not just seeing something, it's really seeing something. Seeing something in, in such a way that you're changed, that you're transformed, just like I imagine Mary and Joseph were changed and transformed as they beheld their Savior and their baby Jesus. Just like millions and millions of others throughout the centuries and throughout the world have been changed as they've beheld Jesus, gazed upon his glory. One of my favorite Christmas hymns is, is one that we've sang this morning. It was originally written in Latin. Uh, fortunately, we didn't have to sing it in Latin, but you know the, famili the familiar English version called O Come All Ye Faithful. And some of the words go like this. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us 
adore him, Christ the Lord. And so for a few minutes this morning, that's simply what I want us to do, to behold our Lord Christ, to come and adore him together. But before we do, I have, I have a challenge that I want to extend to you. And the challenge is to behold Christ our Lord with fresh eyes and an open heart. And here's what I mean by that. Many of us have, have heard this Christmas story year after year, decade after decade. We've read these narratives in John and Luke's narrative and Luke chapter 2. We've, we've read and heard those read countless times. And familiarity is a good thing. It's good and it's a gift to be familiar with God's word. But also, you may have experienced that familiarity over familiarity can sometimes cause you to miss things. And so my challenge is to look at these truths. Behold Jesus with fresh eyes and an open heart. Um, pastor and writer Paul Tripp says that often in the church we have informed brains but unchanged hearts. So may we this morning not just have informed brains, but may we have changed hearts as we gaze upon, as we behold Jesus with fresh eyes and an open heart. So first, look, look at verses 1 and 2 of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now there is so much here. There is so much beauty and magnificence. We could spend weeks and months and years unpacking this and never plumb the depths of what John is communicating with us, what the Lord is communicating with us through these verses. But there are a couple things I want to point out just in these two verses alone. First is that Jesus, this word that was born among us, the ultimate reality of the word, Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Before there was time, Jesus was as the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, he has no beginning. Everything that we can imagine with our finite brains has some sort of beginning. We can't comprehend eternality. eternality. We're not capable of wrapping our minds around this. And I think that that's a good thing. It's a good thing that we're not capable of comprehending the fullness of God. It's not as if we put God down here and we're up here and we're observing God like he's some sort of science experiment that we can figure out and place inside this box that we can fully comprehend and understand. He's worthy of our worship. He's beyond our comprehension. John 1, of course, is mirroring Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word. Mirrors in the beginning God. John is clearly pointing back to creation and communicating that the Word Jesus was there in the beginning. Jesus is eternal. So come and behold him. Ponder the eternality of the one who came among us and let your heart be moved to worship. That leads to another characteristic of Jesus here in these two verses. If Jesus is eternal, then he's infinite, and if he's infinite, then he's divine. In the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is being very particular with the words he's using and with the way he's using those words. He's communicating something specific and significant, that Jesus is God. Jesus is divine, and not some sort of um, prophetic, just another prophetic figure or just another divine figure. Jesus is God himself. Jesus is Yahweh, Emmanuel, God with us. 
Jesus is the divine one. Come among us. So come and behold him. God in the flesh. Born in the person of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 3. Words that will sound familiar if you join in our worship regularly because we say them over and over every single week when we say together the Nicene Creed. In verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him, the word Jesus, was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the agency through whom all things came into being. Everything that was made was made through this divine, eternal word, which means that Jesus is ultimately creative. Jesus is ultimately creative. Imagine with me a particularly beautiful scene in nature that you've experienced and beheld. So nature especially moves me uh, to worship God. I love on maybe an early morning run or uh, a run at Trouble Mill Park with the sunrise or sunset over the lake. I love beholding the beauty of nature and it always stirs up worship in my heart. Why? Why, why is that? Maybe you have the same experience when you behold the stars or the sunrise or sunset. Why? Because creation, in all its splendor, gives us a glimpse of the splendor of Jesus. Creation, in all its beauty, gives us a glimpse of the beauty of Jesus. All things were made through him. This reminds me of one of my favorite psalms. I have it etched here on my um, watch band. Um, psalm 19 which starts this way. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. In other words, creation itself communicates without words the creativity and the beauty of its creator. The splendor of creation gives us a glimpse of the splendor of Jesus. So come and behold him. Our creative and imaginative and beautiful Lord through whom all things were created. His agency, Jesus' agency in creation, shows us not only his, his creativity and his beauty, but it also shows us how powerful he is, that he's the all-powerful one. So again, something that our finite brain, brains can't fully comprehend or wrap around, um, God in Genesis chapter 1 creates this Latin word again, ex nihilo. God creates ex nihilo, means out of nothing. God creates from nothing, something that we can't wrap our minds around. If you like to create or curate or build things, all of us require a starting point. We all have to have raw materials to work with to build something or to create something, whether it's wood or clay or uh, code for an app or a website. We have to have raw materials, but God creates from nothing. There was nothing God spoke, and through Jesus, there was something. How powerful, all-powerful is our Lord. But Jesus, who became like us in every way, yet without sin, doesn't, like so, so, so many humans over the centuries, because we're marred by sin, Jesus doesn't abuse his power or use his power to the detriment of others. Jesus says about himself in Mark chapter 10, the Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. St. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus doesn't abuse his power. He uses his power to serve others. So come and behold him. Come and behold him, our loving Savior, who displays his perfect power in love. So in the first 13 verses of John chapter 1, John pens this beautiful, poetic words that fill his readers' imaginations, that fill our imaginations and our hearts with the truth and beauty of the word incarnate, Jesus. And then it it crescendos and climaxes in verse 14, where John writes that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the beautiful reality here is that this eternal, divine, ultimately creative, ultimately powerful word, Jesus, isn't aloof or distant or unloving, but he's ultimately loving and near and close. He's entered into our creation to become a part of us, to be a part of us. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in in his version of the Bible called The Message. He, He writes, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. So it's almost the end of 2020. Praise the Lord for that. We're excited for next year. Amen. And as we look back on 2020, I think one thing that we'll all agree on for years and years to come is one of the hardest parts has been the loneliness and the isolation that we've all felt and experienced to one degree or another. But the good news of Christmas, the message of Christmas that that Archbishop Foley a few nights ago said so clearly and so well is that you don't have to be alone on Christmas because God has come in the person of Jesus. Now in our current stage of redemptive history, God's grand uh, working out of what he's doing in the world through Jesus and through his people, and we know that Jesus was born, that Jesus came, and that Jesus has now ascended to the right hand of the Father where he's ruling and reigning over all things, and he has poured out his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, so that you and I can tangibly experience and feel and know his presence and love and nearness. So come and behold him, the God who loves you, who draws near to you. May you this Christmas season experience his nearness in the person of the Holy Spirit. Of course, there's so much more we could look at in these few verses, but there's, there's one more thing I want to point out. At the very end of verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Mary, beholding the little baby Jesus, is Mary beholding glory. The glory of the Father, full of grace and and truth. Our beholding Jesus is our beholding glory. And your heart and my heart, they crave to behold glory. We crave to behold something, to have some object of our worship that is ultimately worthy of our worship. And unfortunately, as as we all know, we can attest to, we've experienced because of sin, we're prone to point our hearts uh, at things that are not worthy. But Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one that you were created 
worship. Full of grace, behold the Son, full of grace and truth. He's the one that your heart longs to behold, that your heart craves to behold. So come and behold him, Jesus, full of glory, full of grace and truth. So the question is, the question is, how will you respond? How will you respond? The message of Christmas demands a response. Think about the example of the shepherds in the familiar narrative in in Luke chapter 2. The shepherds are are tending their flock at night, and then all of a sudden a multitude of angels fill the sky, and the angels are proclaiming together glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, of course, such an action demands a response. And so we see in in Luke chapter 2, verse 15, that the shepherds do something. They say, well, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The message of Jesus, the message of Christmas, demands a response. So how will you respond? John writes in, in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. So may you respond this morning by beholding Jesus in such a way that leads you to believe in him. Now, of course, the sense of this this idea of believing in him that that John is getting at here is, is more than just like intellectual assent. Like believing that there was a historical figure named Jesus. Every legitimate historian and scholar will tell you that that's true, that there was a man named Jesus who walked the earth 2,000 years ago. But the sense of what John is getting, in here, getting at here in John chapter 1 is orienting your entire being around Christ, the one who has come. Believing his word, who he says that he is, how he teaches us to live, obeying him, putting your faith, hope, and trust in him and in what he has accomplished for you through his life, death, and his resurrection. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So come and behold him. Receive him, Christ the Lord. Believe in his name. Come and behold him. Born the king of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.